Welcome to Security Heroes, a podcast by Athena Security. We share real life stories to help connect you to real heroes in the security world. I'm your host, Lisa Falzone. Warning, the following recording contains potentially disturbing content. Listener discretion advised. So joining us today is Nelson Price, the Enterprise Director for Healthcare Operations Safety at Allied Universal. With a military background as an aerospace control and warning technician in the U.S. Air Force, Nelson has amassed over two decades of leadership in healthcare security and operations. His career trajectory has seen him at the helm of prominent roles like System Director of Risk Management at Physicians Regional Healthcare System, System Director of Public Safety at NCH Healthcare System, and multiple key positions at Providence spanning quality, risk, infection, prevention, and safety. His accomplishments in the realm of healthcare security are remarkable, having pioneered initiatives like the K-9 de-escalation teams, which resulted in significant reduction of workplace incidences. Nelson, it's an honor to have you on Security Heroes. Welcome. Thank you very much. So just to start off with, your career trajectory has taken you from the U.S. Air Force to Anchorage Police Department and then deep into the realm of healthcare security. At which point did you recognize that you wanted to specialize in the security domain and what drew you towards it? To be frank with you, it was kind of an accident and it just worked out for me. I've always been in some sort of community assistance, whether it be police, law enforcement, firefighting. I've always liked to help people. When I retired from the Anchorage Police Department, I ran into somebody that I knew and I was familiar with Providence, Alaska Medical Center was where I started. I was familiar with the hospital, but somebody asked me if I would be interested in a position. I was working on my master's degree at the time and it wasn't working at all. And I was like, ah, you know, I'll take a look at it. And two weeks later, I started my career at Providence Alaska Medical Center as a security manager and kind of worked and molded the job position and title as kind of I, as I escalated and moved up the chain. Nice. Yeah. It seems like everyone kind of falls into healthcare security. I mean, I also fell into it, but I absolutely love it. I don't know what you think, but this absolutely so- love it. yeah, it's just so awesome because in my opinion, you get to work with doctors and nurses. And I think most people to be a doctor or a nurse, their heart is in the right place and they're, you know, want to help people and save lives. And same with the security people typically that I talk to who protect them. So it's just really cool. And just for me, it helps me just restore my faith in humanity to see so many good people out there. Lots of good people left still. Lots of good people. Yeah. So it's exciting. So when people think of the military and healthcare, they often view them as two distinct worlds with separate sets of challenges. Having feet in both realms, how do you see the interplay between these sectors and what common values or principles do they share? Well, I think it's really all one goal and it's helping people in general, whether it's defending the nation or kind of, I want to say defending a hospital or a healthcare facility. I mean, really, as I got into healthcare, I learned so much about it and I credit that to the IHSS just because it really is a city within itself. There's lots of things happening inside those facilities and they're pretty self-contained for the most part. 
We rely on our community partners for a lot of things. And I would think it's very similar with the military. I remember being in the military and working shifts and counting on our surrounding partners, whether it be contractors or whatever that might be, to help us achieve goals. And I think it's very similar in healthcare. We really rely on each other to serve one purpose. And again, that's just helping people. Yeah, totally. I think it's great training, obviously not have to have it, but I think it's great training for healthcare security in particular. So talk to me about when you first saved a life. When I first saved a life, I think the way I looked at things, especially from a leadership position and many of the roles that I've taken, whether wherever that might be, I've taken it as a team approach. It's not just me. I benefit from a bunch of different training. And again, from the team concept, and I think I did learn that in the military early on was what that team concept looked like. So we work together as a team, we train together as a team, and we accomplish our goals as a team. So individually, I've done CPR on a number of people responding through law enforcement, a lot of like drug overdose type situations where you get there, the people are turning blue, they're not breathing, you immediately step into action. And and again, relying on that team concept. So you're doing something for a period of time while you're waiting for EMS or the medics to arrive on scene to take that part over. But again, team concept. So there's not one that sticks out any more than the other, but doing CPR on people has been something that I've done numerous times. I've been, I wouldn't say fortunate enough to do it, but I've been in a position where I've had to do that on a number of occasions. And again, it all boils down to the training and that team mentality of getting things done. Well, thank you so much for your help in saving people's lives. Do you have any incidences that you feel comfortable talking about in regards to gun violence in the ER? Well, starting at Providence Alaska Medical Center and then kind of working from the region around there, we didn't have any sort of metal detection or any sort of canine detection for weapons or any of those things and battling or looking to ways to battle workplace violence. There's a number of occasions where we talked through those things and we found that guns had made their way into the emergency room, Mm -hmm. whether it be intentionally or unintentionally. I was never put in a place where anybody pulled or levied that against us in a Mm -hmm. negative or nefarious way, but there's bad guys that come in with with gunshot wounds or whatever that might be, and they are armed. We sometimes find that out later. We've been very successful in the de-escalation techniques that kind of go with that. When I would teach workplace violence or like run, hide, fight, for example, we had a couple of examples where drug seekers would come into the facilities. So we were able to use some of those experiences. And fortunately, I've never experienced that personally. But using other examples in close to home that we would talk about, for example, one guy came in demanding drugs. He came into the front counter, he was pointing a loaded weapon at them, and they were able to de-escalate the situation and remove patients from that area. It was a a patient care area. So they removed all the patients, basically secluded that individual, and were able to de-escalate them where he could be talked down. And law enforcement arrived and de-escalated that further and, and ideally got that individual help that he so badly needed. Again, nothing that happened to me personally, but we have a number of stories similar to that. Yeah. I mean, talk to me about how they went about de-escalating that and if you have any advice for training techniques for that. I think the first thing I tell my officers is I go, 
especially unarmed officer, many officers throughout healthcare are unarmed. And when we do face armed scenarios where somebody comes in with a weapon, the biggest thing I say to them is you're not necessarily asked to face them one-on-one because it's not a fair fight. Your goal is to shepherd our patients, visitors, and employees out of those areas. And that's kind of was with the run, hide, fight thing. We want to show people the exits. We want to show people how they can get out to the fastest way while Mm -hmm. monitoring what might be going on, ideally from a safe distance. Because again, it's difficult to ask unarmed people to face, it's, you know, taking a knife to a gunfight. It's just not a fair fight. And we wouldn't ask our officers to do that. Now, there's many people that have, you've heard stories uh, routinely, probably even recently, officers have addressed it or even citizens have addressed armed assailants. And sometimes it's been very successful in that and sometimes not. But when you're putting your life on the line, that's not something we would ask of our officers. Again, we ask them to be shepherds and leaders, maintaining their composure, because that's going to be important, you know, through any incident like that is maintaining your composure, remaining calm, because people feed off what they see you doing. So if you're remaining calm and throughout the scenario or process, ideally, they will do the same and kind of mirror that. But being shepherds, and like I said, leading people to safety is, is right. what we would ask people. So did you have one officer that was kind of telling people to get out of the room and then one officer that was dealing with the person with a weapon or how did... Actually, what I take pride in, and I encourage everyone to do this, it wasn't just our security team. It was also our caregivers and our clinical partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we trained together regularly, so they would know what to expect from the officers and vice versa. So in this case, these were caregivers that took charge of this. They, I don't want to say confronted, but they approached the subject and were able to de-escalate them. And these are heroes in yeah. my mind. These are people that do risk their lives, not knowing if whether it's armed or what the situation is, but they address that head on. We're able to separate subject from yeah. other people, put them in a room, a secluded room, where we're able to de-escalate from that position. Again, that puts them away from people, away from others, and reduces the potential for extra violence outside of that area significantly. So those were true heroes. And again, these were our caregivers, yeah. uh, not necessarily security officers. Yeah, it's amazing how these caregivers, I had no idea that nurses were bearing the brunt of so much workplace violence. And you've got in healthcare, you probably saw, and I had no idea coming from law enforcement, I would bring a subject in for a medical clearance and then be on my way. Getting into healthcare, I really had no idea of the level of workplace violence and yeah. just really atrocious things that our caregivers at all levels put up with and have to and to maintain patient safety and worry about the things around them. It's really incredible. So that was kind of where I started learning to love healthcare and what healthcare security looked like was figuring out ways to improve that. Totally. I mean, that's actually a common theme. I mean, most people have no idea. The public has no idea because it's not really, I mean, publicized. The school shootings are obviously very publicized, but not in the ERs and people have no idea. So, and I had no idea either until we started getting more demand in hospitals or concealed weapon detection. Yeah. Until you see those kind of things, it's enlightening. You know, I picture my grandmother as a nurse wearing her white nurse outfit with her little white hat. And I remember visiting 
her while she was working as a little kid. Yeah. And when she went around and she was like tapping her watch, telling visitors it's time to leave, they followed rules and they left and bided by that. Our times have changed and we've seen an increase in violence. And I think even more so after COVID, and I don't know if it's tension or what that philosophy is, but it's certainly increased and just trying to figure out ways to improve that. And again, keep our caregivers safe because without our caregivers, we're not able to do what we're supposed to do and help people. Yeah. I mean, the pre-COVID ER and the post-COVID ER, it's like two totally different places, it seems like. So what ideas do you have for stopping the violence? Well, that's kind of what drew me into the canines. We started with a team of unarmed officers. They had some basic training. One of the questions I asked, even for handcuffing, was, you know, who's teaching you these skills? And we're like, oh, we've got some people that have worked for Department of Corrections and kind of done it over time. So are there any certifications or anything to go with that? When Joint Commission comes in and asks those questions, we can provide them. Well, not really. So we had to start there and kind of grow up from there. So we started with restraint techniques, working again with our clinical partners and what that looked like to minimize injuries. There were so many injuries going through. How do we deflect that or minimize what that looks like for our officers? We talked about the number of, or hours of missed work, the, you know, the pay or associated with workman's comp claims. It's really significant. So we were trying to figure out different tools. So we went around the country. I got really involved in IHSS and try to dig deep into what that looked like. So we implemented OC foam and gel, which was a good start. And then we kind of went into tasers and these were great things. And we were seeing these improvements. What's OC foam and gel? Olorism capsicum. It's a OC spray. You've heard of like bear spray, those kind of mm-hmm. things. And it's spray, the aerosols, obviously not good for a healthcare environment because they clear the whole emergency room. But mm-hmm. the gel and foam seem to do a little bit better. And depending on your location, depending on whether you use the gel or foam, some of those things can make a difference. And again, these are things that in combination with de-escalation techniques, appropriate and good de-escalation techniques would be last minute scenarios, just like your taser. You're not using a taser unless somebody's committing a crime or assaulting somebody, so committing a crime. We saw improvements, but it wasn't where we wanted. So we tried to figure out what other tools we could utilize. And that's where we came up with the canines. I think in 2016, I heard it mentioned at a conference, an IHSS conference, and I started exploring from there. There isn't still a whole lot on canines in healthcare, but there was 14% of the healthcare facilities across the nation were utilizing canines. So a very small percentage of the number of hospitals. And again, not a whole lot of research out there. So I actually went with my police experience, worked with canine handlers in the local area, a canine trainer, uh, went to some canine law enforcement conferences to learn a little bit more about it and kind of expanded from there. But when we introduced the canines and we were looking at de-escalation primarily, they were a dual purpose. We Narcotics detection, that was another thing I didn't realize in healthcare, how frequently people self-medicate with illegal narcotics and those kind of things. It's remarkable to come into a place of healing and then make things worse for yourself by self-medicating. So it was happening pretty frequently and right. trying to figure out ways to combat that. But with the introduction of that and with canines and increased de-escalation skills and techniques, we were able to reduce our workplace violence by about 50%. Awesome. 
And I talk throughout the year in various IHSS seminars, reference canines in the workplace and how they can be used for de-escalation. Again, it's been a great tool for us. It was a successful program for us. And to the other places that have started them or talking about it, it's been successful for them as well. So talk to me a little bit more about how it works exactly. So just from an everyday, if I'm not in the security industry, tell me how the canine protection works. Just like anything, there's lots of training involved. And at Providence, we actually put out a canine implementation guidebook for others to use. So we were the first ones in our system to bring in a canine program and spread from there. So I think there's six or seven now, and they're seeing, again, excellent, outstanding results from these. But you start with selection of a handler, which is a big thing because you have handlers that are representing you. They have to make sound decisions, just like you would expect of most officers. But now they have this canine attached to them. And we found it to be an excellent PR campaign as well. I mean, because people loved them. Caregivers Mm -hmm. loved them. The community loved them. So when you think about canines in healthcare and de-escalation, we're not necessarily talking about canines like you see on patrol for police. So on a scale from one to 10, we're looking for about a five on that scale and drive. And we want a dog or canine that can sometimes be pet when they're not escalated and working, but also serve as a good deterrent for bad things that could happen in healthcare. So again, with a lot of training, with the proper selection of the canine and the handler, our ideal goal was to have them patrol the area, but specifically the emergency department and those other vulnerable areas. So they would patrol those areas as a presence. And that's a big part of what security is, is presence and Mm -hmm. perception. So if you were caregivers and patients and visitors are seeing officers with canines regularly, the perception is, oh, they have a high security presence. Maybe we should behave and do what we should be doing at a healthcare facility. So it really was patrolling, being on the lookout for things. If they were called for a search, if there was suspicion of illicit narcotics being brought into the healthcare facility, the dogs could do a search on what that looks like. But a big part of that de-escalation, and that's what I considered them was de-escalation canines, was that deterrence and that security presence in the ED. So an additional, without having or adding FTEs, we just added canines to it. That's great. So are they taught to attack the bad guy or how does that work? Like what if someone's like, hey, okay, there's a bad guy. Yes and no. So there's different kinds of canines within healthcare. So we have a detection canines and often those where we consider like a floppy ear or a pointy ear. For example, a Labrador retriever, something like that, maybe a scent detection. Maybe they're detecting weapons or drugs or any number of things like that. And they wouldn't necessarily be trained to bite and probably don't require any bite work. And typically they're not the best for that. That's not something you would typically see on a police patrol, but our German shepherds, Malinois, things like that. And they can also be trained for scent detection as well. But if something goes bad, for example, you've run out of tools, you have somebody, a patient, for example, being an active aggressor and actively assaulting somebody, they're not listening to commands. You tried a number of other techniques At that time, these canines, in this case, were trained to bite. And most of them were bark and detain, but they would also bite. And again, this was the last case scenario. And again, a crime had to be occurring 
in order for that to get to that level. Are these canines, can they detect a scent of a weapon or is it mostly for drugs? Both. There's weapons detection canines and there's narcotics detection canines. And there's actually canines out there that they've been training to sniff out COVID and other diseases and things that go through people, cancer detection. There's a number of different things. No idea. And it's not too prevalent, but there's research and those kind of things out there. I I visited a healthcare facility in Canada, actually, that Uh trained to locate bed bugs within the facility. They had a bad bed bug problem in their area, and they brought in and would train canines, the floppy-eared kinds in this case, to detect uh, bed bugs. So we have like explosive detection canines can also be trained in firearms and those kind of things. So they can absolutely detect firearms. I love it. So at your current role in Allied, tell me a little bit more about what you do currently and are you involved with the canine protection still? Allied Universal has, I guess, an off-branch part of Allied. It's a branch called MSA and they do provide scent detection canines. They don't get involved in bite work, but I still, again, stay involved with IHSS and work with other facilities that are looking to start canine programs. I'm currently working on a white paper to put forward to the IHSS reference canines in healthcare and security canines. And then, again, helping with the implementation. But my current role is separate than that. I am part of the healthcare vertical and safety, and we try to talk to the numerous contracts that we have to reduce injuries with our officers. Whether we kind of look into things, we do a root cause analysis of many of these injuries. They do them internally, and then we kind of look at it at a whole, which whether that be training, whether that be different things that we can implement into that specific program, adding more de-escalation or trying a different kind of de-escalation, different ideas, different PPEs, just ideas that we can come up with to mitigate injuries throughout the workplace, especially with our officers. Because again, the cost associated with that, with workman's comp claims, and not to mention, you know, you have staffing shortage everywhere. As we lose officers to injury, sometimes for extended periods of time, there's costs associated with that. And that certainly snowballs and trickles down. So whatever we can do to find ways to mitigate injuries is what I kind of work in my role currently. Yeah, so you're protecting the protectors. We're doing our best, I tell you. (laughs) There's only so much we can do and things happen still. But if we have ideas and we try to surround ourselves with experts in the areas and people that have been there and done that, just to try to come up with ways. If you're doing it this way and you were injured, here's three other ways that we can try this to try to keep people from being injured. Again, it's pretty prevalent. And if there's anything that we can do to reduce that, we're doing good. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, Allied is in about half the hospitals. So if the nurses are getting assaulted, you can't imagine what's happening with the officers. I think it's that perception of people see security on their patrols and there's a presence there. They're competent in their duties. They're, you know, they're receiving good quality training and healthcare security really is different than other securities. I mean, it's different than being a mall security officer and no disrespect to any of them, but I really think healthcare security is at a next level. And oh, like okay. you said, getting into healthcare, unless you know anything about it, you don't understand the things that come with it. I think it's interesting with healthcare versus other security verticals is that 
the perpetrators are not like a lot of times they have mental health issues or they're really stressed out or it's not like they're premeditative as much. So I think that's just another kind of interesting piece of it. Yeah, people are coming on their worst days and yeah. you have to be able to deescalate from there. And oftentimes it's security at the forefront, hopefully setting the tone for that person's stay, whether good customer service, showing that compassionate care. These are all important things and it can, yeah. again, have that trickle effect. Totally. So you've had experience working in security in Alaska. How is that environment different than the mainland? Well, I tell you, I was in Alaska for just over 26 years and moved to Florida. We were looking for a change. That's um, polar opposites, weather It is. But <laughs> some of the different things that it brought in, like the facility that I was at previously, I want to say this year, earlier this year, a moose came into the facility. There's wildlife. There's a bunch of things that you don't typically get at hospitals, maybe in the lower 48. Cold was something we certainly dealt with regularly. And there was homeless shelters and those kind of things. But being that shelter for people when it gets below zero and the weather can get extreme, providing those extra layers of security. And where I was in Anchorage, many people don't realize is at one point was per capita, one of the most dangerous cities in the United States. That had a lot to do with the extreme dark and extreme cold and depression and alcoholism and a lot of things that came with that. So these are a little bit different than what you might deal with in, in other areas. Your places in the north may experience a lot more of that than they do in Florida. Earthquakes was something else we dealt with pretty yeah. regularly there. Just having a good, solid security and emergency management plan in place for any sort of disaster, whether it be cold, earthquake, whatever that might be, was super important. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating how weather affects public health. Like, for example, there's supposed to be more emergency room visits during a full moon than non-full moon. So it's just... I think there's something to be said about that, just yeah. experience. I, I mean, right. I, I don't know what it is, but I think we could probably say it's true. And most of your security folks around healthcare and other places would agree. So who in the world of security would you most like to take to lunch? There are a number of mentors that I've looked at, and some of them you've had on your previous podcasts. Lisa Terry is one. She comes with a vast knowledge of healthcare, security experience, among other things, with life experience. Super bright individual. Tony York is somebody else that I would look up to. Paul Sarnese. These are other people that I've met through IHSS and various other healthcare security forums. You know, we talked earlier about just good people, right. and that's just a small list of the good people that are in healthcare security and kind of mm -hmm. leading the way to what that is. And Eric, the IHS president for the remainder of this year and next year, another top notch. I mean, there's just, again, so many to name, but those were just a few that have really kind of guided my way coming into healthcare security with no understanding or idea of what it was and looking to those experienced people that have it. And I would encourage anybody getting into healthcare security to get into the International Association of Healthcare Security and Safety and find out what those best practices are and reach out to people because that's always been one of the best things about healthcare security, I think, is the networking. Getting an opportunity to talk with you today, I don't know a lot about your background, but your network reaches out and you're able to talk to a ton of people with that knowledge. 
So if you wouldn't have the answer, you would probably know where to get that answer. And that comes from networking. And I think that's a great thing with healthcare security. Yeah, I think people in healthcare security generally, they're just really heart led. And that doesn't mean like they're nice to everyone all the time. They're willing right. to yeah. be a hard ass when they need to be a hard ass, but they generally like their heart is in a good, good space. But again, so. the same goal, they want to help people. Totally. And they want to set people up for success. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really enjoyed having you on here. And thank you so much for your service. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your podcast and getting the word out there. And I think, again, that networking and we can spread the word for what healthcare safety looks like and stands for. Again, really appreciate that from you. Thank you. Security Heroes is brought to you by Athena Security. To find out more about Athena Security and how we help save lives through our weapon detection solution, visit www.athena-security.com. And then make sure to search for Security Heroes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Athena, thanks for listening.